My, there's so much that is said in that video, so much that is communicated. For some of us, we've not heard words like that for some time. And we hear that and it just goes so fast and it sort of goes over our head because we've not heard people talk to us in such vain. Lift up Christ like that video, Lift Up Christ. I know some of us are here today and maybe we don't feel so excited about being here today. Maybe we don't feel so good about ourselves. That video talked about identity. Maybe we don't feel so good about our own identity. In this world, identity is all often decided by, by appearance. How do you look? Oh, you're a good-looking person. You're not so pretty. You're sort of homely. Identity can be decided by vocation. Wow, you mean you have that kind of a job? Whoa, you must make good money. You're an important... What? That's what you do? Doesn't pay very well, does it? Identity sometimes is by social status. They invited you. You get to hang out with them. See, I could keep going on. In this world, identity is so much based upon our performance or based upon our appearance. And what happens sometimes is somebody says something to us. And what they say in our relationships causes us to identify ourselves. You're not very good. You're a drunk. You're a druggie. You're sort of homely. You're not kind. You're dumb. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You're a failure. You're fired. And pretty soon, we start walking around like that. And in three minutes, you heard that fella try to tell us everything that the New Testament tries to tell us that Jesus does for us. Today, we're going to look at a man whose identity was not good. And we're going to see that Christ enters his life experience and he gives him a new identity. But before we do that, I want to get some thoughts in your mind about identity. If you have your message map, the handout you were given, there's a page for filling in blanks. I'd like you to turn to that page. And I'd like you to look at that first blank and write in that word that is missing. It says, from our identity is to come our activity in life. We do not do activity so that God would love us. We do activity because God has loved us. Who we are determines what we are. In this world, identity comes, as I've said, sometimes by our appearance or what we do or what somebody said to us, but it's not that way in Christianity. Our identity comes from our relationship with God. He loves us. He died for us. He cares for us. You're valuable. And because of that, Things change in our lives and our activities are done not so we can get God's love. Our activities are done because we know God loves us. You see, we know who we are and we know who we, whose we are. And that determines what we do. I want you to look at the next screen because the wonder of Christianity is what I've written on the next screen. Just look on the screen. Nothing on your message map there. It says people change. And I really want to hang on that today 
Because as I said, we're going to look at a man who Jesus brought change. People change. They give themselves to God's activity, not to get God's favor. You see what I got written there? If that's why we do what we do, that's legalistic living. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians have made their relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord legalistic. They give themselves to God's activity not to get God's favor. That's legalistic living. People change. They give themselves to God's activity because they have God's favor. Now folks, I call that living by faith or grace living. And look at the last sentence I wrote there. If you do not know the difference between legalistic living and faith living or grace living, if you do not know the difference, then the Christian life will always seem like an obligation instead of a privilege. I have to go to church today instead of I get to go to church today. I have to set up instead of, you know what, I get to create the environment for God to do what He's going to do. I have to be obedient to my parents. You know what, I get to be obedient to my parents because they are doing things for me that's so kind. I ought to honor them. You know, I, I, I have to go home and be with my mate. No, I get to go home and be with my companion. I have to read the Bible today. That's what the preacher said I ought to do. No! I get to read the Bible and discover things about God. You see, if you're caught in legalistic living, you're caught with obligation. That's what Christianity is all about to you. That's why people turn away from it. I'm sorry. Our churches have made it all about obligation. You better. You should. God won't love you. We are to do our activity because God does love us. He does love us. Look at the next blank on your message map. Fill in that word there. It says, for the follower of Jesus, God has done something in you and now God is seeking to do some things through you. Please understand that. What I'm talking about this morning is not to control you or to manipulate you. It is to let Jesus bring some order to your life that maybe has been out of control in disorder because He wants to do something through you. We're going to see that in the man we're going to look at in Scripture. And I don't know why we're not getting to that man until today, except maybe today God was able to get you to come because you had to hear about this man. Maybe today God wanted to say something to you because we've been three weeks talking, almost four weeks, talking about this very passage and I can never get any further. Just this morning somebody said, can you give me, can you give me that last blank? And I said, it's going to be the last blank this morning. Last week somebody said, and then during the week, the week before somebody said, hey, you didn't fill out any blanks. That's just not where God took us that day. And so I'm hoping today He'll take us there. Why? Because he wants to do some things through you like he's going to do through this man. But let me say again, what is written underneath your first blank, that word activity. You can read it there. We do not do activity so that God would love us. We do activity because God has loved us. Who we are determines what we do. Please, you've got to remember that. Who we are determines what we do. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Most High God. We are children of God. We are lovers of God. We are people who are available to God.
That is who we are. That's our identity. And because that's our identity, then we say, God, what's my activity for you? God, what is it I can do for you? Not, oh, gee, God, do I have to do that again? Do I have to get along with my wife? This morning I shared with one of our older members, much, much older than me. Well, not much older, but somewhat older. And I told him, my wife's been gone for five days. I said to him, he's by himself. His wife's not around. You might have heard him talk to me because he wasn't hesitant and expressed himself. And I said, can you give me any hints of how I can be a better husband? And man, he says, yeah, I can tell you how to be a better husband. He says, I do dishes for my wife. I vacuumed the floor for my wife. I treat my wife good. He said just last week, she went, he told me today, she went and got her hair done. He said a lot of those things. But you know the first thing he said to me? Man, this is an old man. He says, I make love to my wife. He's telling the young guy, don't forget to. See, some people in church say, you don't bring that up. God tells us to do that. But that old man was giving me some gifts. And he's not that old. I'm just playing on that word. The man older than me was giving me some advice that was good. And you know this morning, Jesus is going to meet a fella. And he's going to meet some people. And they got an opportunity to let his touch and his words impact their lives. Or they got an opportunity to reject what he says. And folks, you and I have the same opportunity today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to Luke the 8th chapter. Luke the 8th chapter, 26th verse. I have said this, I think, for four weeks straight. <laughs> Go to the 26th verse. If you, if you got that New Testament, it's page 57. Okay? And if you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a New Testament out in the hallway on a table. Grab it and bring it back next week. Because I ask you to underline or circle some things so that you can read later. You can take this message map, fill in these blanks. You can read later this scripture, and you can sort of have a time with God of worship again, thinking about these, thinking about maybe what you'd mark in your Bible, maybe something you write in the, the, the margin of your Bible. Because you see, that Bible is what God uses is to transform us. It's His Word that He had inspired. It's His Word that He's involved in. And if I don't get into His Word, I don't let change just doesn't occur in my life much. Look there, Luke 8. Now in Luke, it's written by a guy named Luke. Don't have time to do all that again. I hit that from time to time. Luke did not walk with Jesus. Luke did not talk with Jesus, okay? Luke is a man who tells us in the first chapter for another fella, okay? Luke is investigating things that he and that man has heard about Jesus. Just like you should investigate what you hear about Jesus. Can he really make a difference? Can he really bring transformation? Can he really cause my marriage to be better? Can he help me to forgive? Can he help me to receive forgiveness? Say, he can make a difference. And Luke is investigating the things he's heard about Jesus. So that means, listen, Luke is going to the places where he was told Jesus' life intersected with the life of other human beings. And Luke is checking it out. He says he is carefully investigating because he wants that man he's writing this, this information to that we call the book of Luke. He said, I'm writing this information to you so that you can know the things we've been told is true. 
And Luke was not just some man without much intelligence. Luke was a man of science at his, in his day. Luke was an intelligent man in his day. He was considered one of the most intelligent. Luke was a physician. He was a medical doctor. Luke knew the questions to ask when people would talk about miracles. Luke knew how to use his intellect to research the information about Jesus. And we're going to hear what Luke has to say about this man and the people around this man whom Jesus' life touches. But before we do, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you have set appropriately this sermon for this day. And Father, I thank you for your love to us and the security we have in Christ. And I thank you for, for, for the blessing of Mary's grandmother, her, her, her relationship with you. And I pray that you help her family. And God, many of us know Mike Steed, a friend, a man of God. Oh, glory was an expression of Mike's. And we pray that you help his family during this time. And Father, right now, as we look into your word, you help us. You help us to understand what it is you're saying to each one of us as individuals. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So look at that 26th verse. We've read it before. I've talked about it almost three weeks. So they arrived. That's Jesus' 12 disciples. Okay, let me say this. If you've got a different Bible, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. That's what's on the screen. Okay, it's just easier to follow. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. This is in the northern part of Israel. We've talked about that in the past. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came to meet him. I told you, you would think that the Father, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. The Father is the first person of the Godhead. Some of you call that Trinity, okay? And you would think the Father would have a welcoming committee meet, meeting Jesus because I've talked to you about he's tired, he's been tired. Everybody's always a crowd's coming around him. When you live for Jesus, when you live and serve God, somebody's always asking you for help. If what you have impacts lives, somebody's always ringing your number, somebody's always knocking on your life's door, they always want your help. Because you see, that's what they did with Jesus. And we're just followers of Him. And you would thought the Father would have had a welcoming committee come and say, hey man, sit down, let's have, like I told you last week, I said you thought they would have met Him with a pizza and a, and, and, and a Pepsi, so He could have refreshed Himself, but no. Who does the Father have meet Jesus? He has it to be a man in need. A man who is totally controlled by evil, by demonic influence in his life. Now it goes on, it says in verse 27, it says, For a long time this man had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside of the town. In other words, this man has issues in his life, and these issues have affected his life for a long time. It goes on in 28, As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Now, I said last week, that's not worship, okay? That's just acknowledgement of who Jesus is. You're going to see the demons are going to acknowledge who Jesus is. This man falls down because the demons know in whose presence they are, and that's Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They're going to say that. He goes on. Then he screamed. 
Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Now, if you didn't do it last week, I would recommend that you circle those words. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? I don't have time to talk about it again. I talked about it last week. But you see, when somebody starts talking about Jesus to you, and you're not living for Jesus, you're thinking, this is an interference. Somebody says, why don't you come on down to the Bible study or the Connect group? Why don't you come on to church? You're saying, I don't want to be interfered. i got plans. That's what this, these demons were saying inside this man. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Every time you read Luke 8 and you read this story, don't you concentrate on the demons. Concentrate on the statements. Because you and I do that sometimes. God, why are you interfering with my life? You're taking my money. You're taking my time. Why are you interfering with my life? You want to be a priority. Why are you interfering with my life? And that's what is happening here. And he called him son of the most high God there. In other words, demons recognized who Jesus was. Let me say something here. I said it last week because we're almost to the new scripture. I said last week. (laughs) These demons recognized who Jesus was. That's why they're falling down. Often people won't recognize who Jesus is. Some of you are here and maybe you don't recognize who Jesus is. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You use the words you want to use. You write the things you want to write. You say what you want to say. And you say, all because you're your own person. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're now a child of God. You're now a child of God. These demons knew who Jesus was when people won't recognize Him for who He is. The demons recognize him for who he is. And what do they say? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. Demons know what judgment is. They know what is going to happen. They're going to go to hell. They're going to be tormented in time. They they don't want that discomfort right now. The demons know who Jesus is and they know he has already spoken their judgment. They know what is coming. They have hated Jesus. They want to ignore Jesus, but they can't. You can't ignore Jesus. You've tried, haven't you? And guess what? You just happened to come in here today and boy, today... He's just confronting you right now. You see, these demons know what's coming their way. Now let me say something to you. Look on your message map, the next blank. Some of you might say, Satan, demons, and torment, that is so naive. I don't believe all that. Now, before I read the rest of it, let me say this. Because I said this last week. Okay, I didn't have this on last week's message map, but I said this last week. And I explained it to you about demons. The Bible talks about it. Don't have time to do all that, okay? I don't have time to talk about demons today. I don't have time to talk about hell. We have talked about that some already in the book of Luke. We will talk about that in Scriptures coming Luke because Jesus brings it up. But I will say this. Look at the rest of that statement on the screen or on your message map. I will say this. Satan has already won a victory in your life. He has deceived you if you think all that is naive and silly. He's already. And last week I talked about him. Last week I talked about him. That's what he does. He deceives. He tells you your life's okay and you know it's not okay. He says keep doing it your way and it'll be okay and it's not okay. He tells you to get better and it doesn't get better. It gets probably more bitter. So if you're saying all this stuff is just naive about demons and hell and torment, Satan's already won the victory in your life. He's already deceived you. 
Now it goes on in 29. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard, look, and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Now folks, we do not evolve from animals. Okay? I know what you taught in school, okay? We do not evolve from animals. But this man is acting like an animal. He is a wild animal. That's how he's acting. Who is a danger to himself and to others. And so you know what they have to do? Listen. Because of his behavior, they have to lock him in chains. They have to chain him down to protect himself and to protect other people. Now somebody says, yeah, it's not like that today. It is exactly like that today. When people act like wild animals and not respectful human beings, you know what we have to do? We have to cage them to protect themselves and to protect other people. We put them in jail. We do. You see that policeman pulls you over because you are endangering everyone else. Sir, do you know how fast you were driving? Well, I think I was just going 57 miles an hour. Sir, I think you were going 75 miles an hour. And if that trooper knows or that policeman knows how to handle it, he says, sir, when he's done, he says, sir, I mean, I was taught this in the MPs when I was in the military. Give that ticket. We didn't let go of it until he said, sir. The man looked at him and said, sir, we want you to live a long life. And we want others to live a long life. We're just asking you to slow down. You see, people who act like uncontrollable animals are people who end up getting chained down. And some of you know what it's like, though you're not in a cage. This man is acting like an out-of-control person, like he's an animal. Verse 30, Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. Legion is the term of a Roman military unit. Usually it's around 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers, okay? It just means this guy has a lot of demons in him. I already told you last week, don't have time to talk about it. If you're a child of God, you're not demon-possessed. But demon, demonic influence comes toward our lives. Okay? It can come through the reality of demons, fallen angels. It can come through... Satan's influence through other human beings to get you to do what's not right for you. Listen, ladies, God brought you into this world for men to treat you kindly and with great respect. Demonic influence will tell you to let men use you and abuse you. Every young man ought to understand, every man ought to understand exactly what that older man taught me. You treat your woman with great honor and great respect. Whether you're married to that woman or you're not. You act like an animal and it's all about what you can get. This man has many demons in him. Now he has, you've got to understand something. He has not always been like this. Somebody says, you don't know that. Wait a minute. He had to be born to mom and a daddy. Whether they were together, that I don't know. But he had to be born as a small baby. He had to grow up as a child and a teenager. You see, he had a family involvement at one time. It was probably healthy. 
But something has happened to him. At some point, now listen to me, at some point he opened himself up to what I preached about last week. He opened himself up to the deceptions of Satan and to the lies of the devil. Your mama don't love you. Your daddy don't love you. You can drink as much as you want and you won't ever get in trouble. You can take that drug and it won't control you. You can speak those words. You don't hurt anybody. I mean, you have a right to... Put that on Facebook if you want to. You ought to feel proud about yourself. You're a man. You're a woman. See, something happened in this man's life that he accepted the deception of the devil and the lies, the demonic influence that caused him to believe lies. And I'm sure he heard preachers just like you're hearing a pastor and people who are trying to talk about things of God but you see, if you listen to a lie long enough, you begin to believe it's true. Something happened in his life. He hadn't always been like this. And you know what he ended up having? He got a new identity. To the people around him. To even his own parents. And if he had brothers and sisters or uncles and aunts. To the community. His new identity. This guy's life's out of control. And he's got a new name. And Jesus says, what? your name? Legion. And some of us can understand that. We know that new identity that Satan has led us to accept because we believe his deception, his lies. You see, this man now, listen, his activity is based upon his new identity. That's why I gave you the first part of this message. Our activity is to come out of our identity. If you do not see yourself as everything that video talked about that we saw just before I come up here, you will act like a person based upon the identity you choose and not the identity God has chosen for you. This man is just doing his activity that comes out of his identity. And I want you to know, that's 2,000 years ago, but I see it today, and it crushes my heart. It's like somebody squeezes me, and I think it's God. And I say, I want to help that man. I want to help that woman. I want to help that kid. I want to help that teenager. I want to help that young adult. And I can't, so I'm training some of you to do that. Because some people have got locked into their identity because a friend led them into that, a parent just sowed them down the river by always speaking the negative toward them. And I believe people's activities can change. Their lives can be transformed if they can get the identity and come to know who Jesus Christ is and what He really has for them. Listen, every time I see a person like this in our society today, it tells me connection must succeed. Connection must become a church that engages itself in a terrible, dark culture. Where else should we put the words amazing grace but on the words of a song that raises honor to a house of prostitution? Where else should your life and my life impact people but people who are caught in sin? I'm afraid today churches are staying inside and they're not relevant to the culture. They're not engaging people caught in darkness. Every time I read this and I see people like this man, it says, listen, I am part of an army that's developing to fight against the power of darkness and Satan himself. That's what connection is all about. If you want a church 
that does all the nice conferences and all the nice Bible studies and keeps telling you you're good, you're good, you're good and never challenges you to become part of a fighting army for God, you might as well not even hang out a connection. That's not going to be our DNA. We're going to meet these people and with God's help and by His grace we're going to be able to see these people change and we're going to be able to list their names. We already can do that with some people. Some of you have been going to church for years and you've never changed your identity. But a lot of you have. And that excites me. It goes on in 31. The demons kept begging Jesus, do not send them into... I'm sorry, the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. See, the demons know there's a real hell, okay? People want to deny it. Oh man, get on the internet, you can find out. Can't honor God who has created a hell in that sense. No, don't like a God like that. He can't be loving. The demons know it's real. They're saying, Jesus... Now, Luke is checking this out. Remember, Luke wasn't there. Luke is talking to somebody. Maybe he's talking to the man who healed. Maybe he's talking to the mama of the man who healed. Maybe he's talking to the kid who the man got healed. And the man got married. And he's raising a family for Jesus. And maybe he's talking to the son or the daughter. You see, Luke is checking this out. And then checking it out. Oh, they said the demons. They said, don't put us in the bottomless pit. Now it goes on, 32. There happened to be a large herd of pigs. Okay, many pigs for many demons. Follow with me. Feeding on the hillside nearby. The demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd plunged, plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Now I just want to say this. I've already talked about how do you get pigs in the land of Israel. That was a couple sermons back. But I want to say this. You see, there's many demons, and so the idea of many pigs. Mark says there's 2,000 of them. What I want you to understand is demonic influence wanted to destroy this man's life. And when that demonic influence got into those animals' lives, it destroyed those animals. Demonic influence is never good for you. Don't you even play with it when you're watching that thing on TV. Don't you rationalize, well now can I watch it and it not bother me? You know it's not what God wants. You change the channel on TV. Immediately. Satan wants you to struggle. He wants you to rationalize. That way he's got you caught. But you know what? It's just not TV. It's life. You're in relationship to your mate. You know you're starting to say words you shouldn't say. Change the channel. Just... Just stop. You know you're not honoring your parents. You know it's happening and your friends are just suckering you right down that road. Change the channel. Maybe you need to stay away from those friends for a while. The demonic influence will always destroy. Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. This became the nightly news, folks. It would have been on Nightline that light if you watch ABC, see? It would have been on the Today Show. I think that's CBS or NBC, see, in the morning. It's nightly news. Verse 35 says, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. There always seems to be a crowd that gets around Jesus. But hey, the information in town is 2,000 pigs just ran off the cliff and drowned in the water. Nightly news brings the people out. 
You know, somebody says, there's a, there, there's, there's a terrible event happens on the corner of 10th and Broadway and people will get up and get in their cars and go check it out. See, it's just, this is an event. You, you, you know what is sad? Is that these people are more concerned about the animals than they are the man. Look, that first video we played silently, that first video, I appreciate you all just sort of quit talking and you watched it. We showed it last week because I wanted to make reference to it, but we didn't get this far. You know why I played that video? Because some of you thought, what are you doing? You're showing animals being harmed. Did you see that little pretty yellow duck, that catfish drowned it and probably ate it? Did you see that little pel- or that little that little pigeon, that pelican, put in its mouth and swallowed? Look, I, I couldn't play the sound. Matt sort of gave you an indication of that because there were things people were saying on that. We don't talk like that, or we shouldn't talk like that. We do talk like that, don't we, sometimes? But what I want you to see is people get all up in arms when there's harm to animals. People will go out of their way for animals. People will tell family, I'm sorry, I can't come over because the animal needs me. People will spend great sums of money when they can't even buy something for their kids so they can feed the animals and take care of the animals. But when it comes to impacting lives for Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You see, these people, they're more concerned about animals than they are this man. Now, some of you are going to say, I, th- I think you're just interjecting something that is Mike Davis and not of the Holy Spirit. Let's watch and see what happens, okay? Let's see if they're really concerned about lives being transformed or if they're concerned about commerce being lost. Look, it goes on. Verse 35 goes on. And they saw the man who had been freed from the demons... He was sitting at Jesus' feet. Look what it says. Fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were afraid. You ought to underline that phrase, they were afraid. You see, because sometimes when God confronts us, it causes us to get fearful. Matter of fact, I've already said some things that have made you uncomfortable. Some of you. Because you fear. That's not the kind of person you are that I'm talking about. You're that identity that is not very nice. And it scares you to even give God a chance to have, to bring change into your life. They're afraid. That's, that's funny, see? That comes, they were all afraid. Because I want you to look at that later. And I want you to stop and think, am I afraid of what Jesus might do in my marriage? Maybe I won't be so much in control. Am I afraid what Jesus might do with my life? That I won't be the person saying that I can do what I want to do. They were afraid. You know what they're afraid of? What they can't explain. That's what they're afraid of. And you try to tell somebody the difference Jesus has made in your life and they're not ready to connect, they don't understand it. They don't understand it. You tell me how I can forgive somebody who hurt me? You tell them, you, you, you try to tell somebody, you know I learned when I forgive... There are great dividends. The Bible teaches that you harvest what you sow. You reap what you sow. And when you sow forgiveness, God brings dividends. Maybe you don't see it in relationship to people you forgive. 
Man, I can remember in relationship with my father and the rebellion for six years. And when God spoke to me at 25 years old to tell your dad you're sorry. And I got almost 20 years of a loving relationship with my father. Not because he wasn't willing to be loving. Because you see, I thought he was controlling. And I rebelled, ran into my life. But being willing to forgive... Look, it scares us when we hear that God wants, based upon our identity, we're His children, our activity to fit who we are. And it scared these people. This man has been changed. They can't explain. All they could see is that the pigs are dead. And Jesus has brought death into their midst. Look, it says in that verse, this man is sitting. If you look back in verse 21, it says he's rushing about. He's out of control. In this verse, it says he's clothed. If you look back to verse 27, it says he's naked. 29 says he has to wear chains and shackles. Here he's clothed. It says in this verse, he's saying... If you look back, verse 29 says he's under demon control. He's doing things that he shouldn't be doing. He's scaring people to death. Here is this man. Here is this man that everybody knows he's out of control. He acts like an animal. We have to treat him like an animal for his own well-being and for our well-being. And here they see this out-of-controlled man. He's changed. And they're afraid I want to ask you, every time they walked by where this man was at before Jesus met him, they were really afraid. Don't go down that road. If you've got to go to the store, make sure you go a block out of your way. Don't go. And here, here they see a man who really scared them. And he's in control. And this terrifies them. This terrifies them. And you know, for some of you, your sons and daughters are being changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's scaring you moms and dads because they want you to change. And you don't understand all that change. And you think it's the pastor trying to control you or the church trying to control you. See, that's the problem. They can't explain what happened. They should not be afraid now. They ought to be all saying, Wow, this is great! A son can go home to be with his mom and dad. This is great. If that guy was married before he got this new identity, a husband can go home and be with his wife. If he was a father before this new identity, they ought to be celebrating. You know what? Kids can have dad back. We got a community person. Put him in charge of the pie-baking contest. You know, they had a man that now could fit in. They ought to all be celebrating. But instead, Luke's story that he gets from those people who are there was that the community people are afraid. They're afraid. Jesus brought order where there was disorder, but they can't explain it. And I'm going to tell you, I can't explain it. I've worked with too many young men and young women and older men and older women, and I've seen transformation, and it's so hard to explain. I lay my head down at night sometimes, and I just said, God, I know you change people. Please don't let me give up. And see, they can't explain it. They cannot explain it. Look at verse 36. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. In other words, they talked about what they saw, the change. In verse 37, all the people in the region of the, of the uh, garrisons, look at this. You ought to underline right now. Begged Jesus to touch their lives and their children's lives and their marriages and bring about a difference. Is that what it says? 
I'm telling you, underline it. So every time you read this in your Bible, you will understand. Here's what they did. They begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. Because they can't understand. And some of you, listen, some of you right now, I told you, this sermon was supposed to be preached almost four weeks ago. It's today because God wanted it for you today. Maybe you were here four weeks ago, but you weren't ready to hear it. See, He wants you to allow change to come. And you're saying, when are we going to get done with this sermon? When are we going to get done with this sermon? Jesus, please, please, go away. That's what they were begging him. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a gentleman. Anybody who understands the scriptures and the relationship with Jesus with people will always make that statement. He is a gentleman. They asked him to leave and that is exactly what he did. He left. Today, Jesus won't force you to hang out with him. He will not force you to chill with him. He will not force you to share time with him. He will always come and knock on your life's door. You can believe it because some of you have tried to say no to him again and again and he keeps coming back. And often, listen, often he has to let you feel the pain of your wrong choices. When you're saying, God, if you're loving God, I shouldn't have to go through this. It's because he can't get your attention any other way. And so he allows the pain. But he keeps knocking, doesn't he? And he keeps saying, come on back. Because you said too often, Jesus, just leave me alone. But he's going to give you the choice. What we see here is crazy. These people probably kept saying, listen, you know they did. Man, I'll be glad someday when that man dies. I'll be glad. Why didn't his family take responsibility and move him somewhere else? I'll be glad when we don't have to confront that out-of-controlled man anymore. And here comes Jesus, and he changes this man, and they're afraid. Now what are they afraid of? Not the man. Not what they don't understand. You see what they're afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus. Do you hear that? I told you. I'm married to Laura. I'm 19. She's 18. Thank God for her in my life. I'm out of a life of rebellion. She's out of a life of obedience. She loves the Lord. She's worked in church. I never worked in church. First two years of my marriage. I keep saying, you just think you're a little Jesus. You think you're holy. And she never was condescending. You talk to her. She'll tell you often all she did was pray for me. But you see, when you don't like what God wants to do in your life, you tend to say, I'm afraid of what Jesus is going to change me into. They're not afraid of this man anymore. They're not even thinking about demons anymore. They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of Jesus Christ. And their fear is valid to them because they haven't got to know Him. That's all it is. Get to know Him. I'm telling you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or if you don't know Him real well, take the Gospel of John and read it through. Don't worry about reading a chapter a day. Just read a few verses and think about it. And when you get through, read it again. And read it slow. And when you get through in the months ahead, read it a third time. But every time... Look at Jesus. Don't get caught up with, well, why would that happen? Why'd God do that? How come they didn't do this? How come this? Just meet the person, Jesus. Because I guarantee anybody who will give him that time of that long period will meet a man 
who thou begin believing can change my life. But these people are afraid of him. They fear what he can do because they don't understand him. Look, let's, let's finish this. 37. So Jesus returned to the boat. Now look, this is important. So Jesus returned to the boat and left. He's a gentleman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your marriage is not getting better because you know what, wife? You will not be God's lady. You keep, you keep being the devil's woman. And you know what, guys? Your marriage is going to get better. Your kids aren't going to get better. Because you won't be God's man. You're the devil's man. You know what, young person? You're never going to be able to hold down that job. The law's always going to be after you. Because you won't be the godly young person. You're the devil's young person. Now listen, that's not everybody. But some of you are here to hear that. And you tell Jesus, I'm never coming back to this church. I'm never coming back. Leave me alone, Jesus. He'll leave you alone. But I guarantee you, somebody prays. Somebody says, you know, God, I got a friend here. I got a son here. I got a husband here. I got a wife here. Somebody prays. Father, here's their genuine heartfelt prayer. He comes and he's knocking on your life door again. Does it through a TV program. He does it with somebody at work. He does it when you're driving your car and you hear it on the radio. He has somebody who you knew or somebody you didn't know come into your life and say, hey, how about giving Jesus a shot? Well, verse 37 says, so Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Now listen to me. Listen to me, connection people. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town. This man went all through the town proclaiming everything, telling them everything God had done for... Uh, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Now pay attention. This man, pay attention. This man wanted to go with Jesus. Tell you what, Jesus... Let me go on the boat with you and the disciples. I doubt if any of these guys got a story like I got a story. Just think, everywhere you land, I can say, I'm the guy from the garrison region. I'm the man out of control. Did you hear him talk about the man who lived in the cemetery? The man that had to chain to the trees that could break the chains after a while? Did you, do you remember? And then I can stand up and say, Jesus saves. Oh, Jesus, let me go. We can put on a great show. We can bring the multitudes. Oh, we can have tent revival like you never had tent revival. You know, I grew up in a traditional church. It was a good church. Don't get me wrong. But it bring in. Listen, I grew up when the hobos were just finishing on the trains, okay? And they'd always bring in the hobos who were drunks talking about Jesus saved. I wasn't a hobo. They never brought in anybody who lived in a normal family like me. They always brought in these monsters in my mind. And this guy is saying, Jesus, I can go with you. And boy, my story will just amaze. People go, huh? The man, this man is saying, Jesus, listen to me. You have changed my life. And I have decided how I will serve you. Now, connection folks, do we do that? Do we still want to serve him as we decide, 
This man was saying, Jesus, listen, a change is coming to my life. And I have decided I'm going to do for God what I want to do for God. How often do people do that? God brings blessing into your life. You get a job, and all of a sudden you decide you don't have time for God. You have children, you don't have time for God. They choose you to be on the team, and you don't have time for God. Look, jobs are important. Man, children are very important. God gives them to you so you can teach them how to live for God in a world that gets their priorities wrong. And playing on the team, we want people playing on the team. I already told you, we want people succeeding in their endeavors. But we don't want to forget. It's what God wants, not what I'm calling the shots about. Jesus' response to him is this. Fella, I'm sure Jesus said, thank you, but it's a great, great offer. But your story needs to be shared amongst these people who know you. Somebody says, that don't make sense to me. I mean, they see it's changed. Big deal. So he changed. But you see, what they haven't seen is some of them are saying, wait until tomorrow. Just give them five days. Let's watch for 30 days. Yeah, let's see if he can get a half a year. Let's see if he can get a year. Let's see if God can really change him. And you know what? When God does change people, but they do fail, you know how those people in the church are so quick to say what didn't stick, did That is so condescending. Jesus wanted him to stay with the people who knew him and be a constant reminder that God could bring transformation. Because something I have learned a long time ago is that I've had people to help in church activities in the churches I've been, and they've said no. I've said to young preachers again and again, don't give up. They said, but nobody wants to work. I said, go back and ask the same people. But they said no three times. But I'm telling you, I would go through a long story and I'd say, people have seasons in their life, and they may say no three seasons, but you go back the fourth season. And now they're ready and they'll say yes. You see, there's people who would hear this man's been changed. They won't believe it. But his life will start impacting other people's lives. And all of a sudden, they start paying attention. And then down the road, they'll respond to what Jesus can do in their life because they saw it in his life. Daddies, let Jesus transform you. Let your kids, let your wife see it. This day, five days, 30 days, half a year, the rest of your life. Let your kids see it. See, what Jesus is trying to say, if I've really changed you, fella, I want you to stay with the people who know you because you know who ought to know you've really been changed? Your mate is the one who should know if you've really been changed. You know who ought to really know you've been changed? Your kids. If your kids see you still acting like the heathen, they know the change isn't there. You know who ought to really know you changed? It's the neighbor that lives around the corner. See, that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Those people who are close to you will know you've changed, and they can't deny the power of God when they hear the name of Jesus. Just maybe, instead of asking to leave, they'll say, Jesus, I want to get to know you better. And you know what? It's 2,000 years later. Maybe they'll say to Mike Davis, and there's men and women in our church that are ready. They'll say, you know what? I'm that out-of-control man or woman. How about if we meet once a week? Help me to get to know the Lord. Because I know He's changed you. 
See, that's what Jesus tells them to do. We're always wanting something new or something that we think worked in the past. We're always wanting to do something different than what God is trying to do. Sometimes the hardest place to go to battle for the Lord is in the familiar experience of life. You see, people will go, they will go on mission trips and they will battle for Jesus Christ. And then they'll come home and you know what happens? They don't even battle for the Lord. There's people who will listen. They will save their money and sacrifice and pay their way to go to faraway places and they'll fight the battle for Jesus. Then when they come home, they fight no battle for Jesus in their family or in their community. There are people who will look for special needs that are a long way off and they'll go and they'll give themselves those special needs and they'll fight for Jesus. And listen, we need to do all those things. But they come home and they fight with other Christians. They're not battling Satan and darkness. Jesus is telling this man, that's a great offer. It's a great story. But I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go home to your family and friends, to people who are going to see every day, and I just want you to let them see the change. Dad, you've used that profanity long enough and your kids have gone bad. They're adults now. You need to start apologizing. Ephesians 4.29 says, put off filthy language. You see, you need to let those who know you see the change Jesus brought. Well, let me conclude with the last blank on the message map. I think it's been there three weeks on the message map. What we have seen Jesus do in Luke 8 is what Jesus always does. He changes people. Okay? And some of you can say, I am following Jesus, and now I'm different. Okay? No one is beyond God's grace. Now listen, the band's just going to come up here because we're going to do face down. No one is beyond God's grace. As long as you're alive, there's hope that Jesus can bring change into your life. Listen to me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Listen to me now. Come on. Come on. As long as you're alive, there is hope for God's grace to change you. You don't need to leave here saying, I've tried it before. No, today is a new season. Let God have His way. Follow Jesus. Live and love like Jesus. Because He can bring transformation into your life. What happened 2,000 years ago can happen in 2012 and 2013. Dad, you're not gone. You're just caught in a rut. Mom, you're not. It's not hopeless. You're just caught in a rut. Sons and daughters. Young people. We don't care what your life has been or is today. What we're concerned is what Jesus can do with it now and tomorrow. By God's grace, our Lord can transform you. And He wants those people who know you to see that change today, five days, 30 days, half a year, and for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, this just causes me to say, connection, we need to be ready to fight the power of Satan and darkness. Because you know what? Jesus changes people. And here at Connection, we remember that. We remember what Jesus has done for us. Every so often we take what I call face down. 
I call it face down if you read our, our email. Because you know when Moses met Jesus, or Abraham met Jesus, when other people, the Scripture met, I mean met God, they fell face down. I'm not asking you to fall on the ground. I'm asking your mind to fall down before God. I say, God, I'm going to let you have your way if He's not having His way. And we do that when we take what some call communion, some call the Lord's Supper, some call it Eucharist. We're going to take the elements of the bread and the juice. And the bread, Jesus told us we ought to do this until He comes back the second time. And so we're obedient to our Lord. That's why we take it. There are so many Christians who never take the elements anymore. They're disobedient. They got sin in their life and they never ask God to forgive them of that disobedience. Today we're going to be obedient. Jesus says when you eat the bread, it's just a symbol. He says in your mind, you're saying, I'm not forgetting your body given for me. And when you drink the juices in the cup, Jesus says you're saying, I remember the blood that was shed for my sins. You see, we should never forget what happened on the cross. Because it happened for us. If you're a believer, we invite you to take the elements. If you're here and you don't feel like you want to take the elements, that's okay. You remain seated. I want the people who are going to serve just to come and take your location. We're going to have two spots. And I'm going to quit talking and I'm going to sit down. And I invite you to come if you want to take the elements. And the way you take it is you just break part of that bread off. Stick it in the juice. Eat it here or take it back to your seat. But remember when you take it that Jesus Christ gave Himself for you. You come when you're ready. You come.